0: Sing for your luncheon and you'll get dinner Dine with wine of choice If romance is in your
1: voice Hi there! I'm Chloe Veltman and this is Voicebox, your weekly guide on public radio and podcast to the human voice and the best of the vocal music scene. Thanks for listening in. A while back, the Oakland Tribune reported the fascinating story of Tyler Thompson, a 15-year-old African-American from Oakland who somewhat improbably happens to be a rising star in the local Chinese opera world. According to the Tribune, the teenager has captivated audiences in the US and China with his ability to sing pitch-perfect Mandarin and perform using many of the stylistics of the ancient art form. Tyler started singing in Chinese a decade ago when he was a kindergartner at Oakland's Lincoln Elementary School, where about 90% of the students are Asian. In the Tribune story, David Lay, chairman of the Chinese Performing Arts Foundation in San Francisco, called Tyler's singing very authentic. But he also made reference to the gulf separating the young artist from his chosen art form. People just don't expect an Afro-American kid to be doing it, Lay said. It's the initial shock. There's a sense of novelty. It's not unusual for singers who hail from one cultural background to dip into another for a specific project. Think of the all-male South African a cappella singing group Ladysmith Blackman Bazo's collaboration with American singer-songwriter Paul Simon back in the 1980s, for example. But the long-term immersion of a vocal artist in a musical heritage completely different from their own is far less common. On tonight's edition of Voice Box, we're going to take a look at how singers find themselves in this atypical position and what it's like to make it your life's work to sing repertoire that asks you to assimilate into a foreign culture. Of all art forms, music is in the best position to break down cultural barriers, but to what extent is this really true? To help us explore this question and others related to it over the next hour, I'm excited to be joined in the studio by two brilliant singers who are no strangers to embracing traditions far removed from their own. Welcome Monica Jalili and Bridget Boyle to Voicebox. Thank you. Thank you. Born in the United States, Monica is of Dutch and German descent, but she's a renowned interpreter of Persian folk songs. Bridget, meanwhile, is an Irish-American lass whose longtime musical passions lie in the realm of Balkan vocal music. She's a member of the acclaimed women's a cappella vocal ensemble Kitka and also performs with Brass Menagerie, a Balkan gypsy brass band. Thanks to both of you for being here. I thought we could get things rolling by hearing you both in action as singers. In a moment, we're going to hear Monica performing a song called Vatan, Oh My Homeland, from her album Elan. And then a Bulgarian song entitled San Sanuvach, San Beluvach, I Dreamt Dreams Got Lost in Dreams, which features Bridget singing the top voice of the trio.
2: Kearpane vuchuda to shadiam to
1: If you've just joined us, welcome. I'm Chloe Veltman and this is Voicebox, public radio's weekly show all about singing. We're also available as a podcast on iTunes. On tonight's show, we're looking at what it's like for a singer to embrace a musical culture that's very different from the one in which they grew up. We just heard tracks introducing the vocal talents of tonight's guests. First up was Monica Jalili with Ava Tan, and then we heard San Sanuvar San Balnuvar performed by Kitka and featuring Bridget Boyle as the top voice. Okay, so the Persian and Bulgarian that we heard you sing in those tracks just now are not languages you grew up speaking. Please can you tell us, Monica and Bridget, uh, briefly about your
2: cultural backgrounds? Well, I'm born and raised in New York City, to parents of German and Dutch heritage. and. Um, Persian was the farthest thing from my mind <laughs> and from my childhood. I really, I mean, I had exception. I had a few Iranian friends, amazingly enough, in New York City.
1: And your and your last name is Jalili, which a lot of people would say, oh, that sounds like it might come from Iran or somewhere around exactly.
2: there. Exactly. It is. Um, thanks to my husband. I did take on his name. So my husband is Iranian. Uh-huh. Okay. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I had a friend who actually said to me once, you know, I think it'd been really cool if you'd kept your maiden name. Which is Bergenthal, which is German. <laughs> Monica Bergenthal sings Persian music, and we used to talk about that because I think you'll get a really big crowd coming to your concert. And but um, I love Jalili, and I just didn't like Bergenthal, so I got rid of that.
1: <laughs> Jalili is is a more musical. name It's a much in more musical ways. name. It is. <laughs> what about you, Bridget? What are, what are your roots?
0: Well, I grew up in Los Angeles, California. Um, my mother is a singer songwriter, and she did she does country music. And my father's a recording engineer, so I've been around music my whole life.
1: What languages did you learn growing up, other than English, if any? Anything? Well,
2: French in school. You sing in French, right? I sing in French. Yeah, French became my second language, um, and I used to teach French as well. And but I heard German growing up, but no one really spoke it directly to me, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Oh,
1: okay. Well, what about you, Bridget? I took
0: Spanish in grade school and French in high school, and never really got very serious about either one.
1: I, yeah. So, in your early years as performers of vocal music, where did your interests lie?
0: I grew up as a singer-songwriter, and I played guitar, and um, you know, did music with my mom. And um, and then I was I also played I played in a, an ensemble that did rock music, and you know, I was sort of in the
2: American pop world until college. What about you, Monica? Uh, musical theater was what I used to really, really love as early as being a child. When I was a kid, all I wanted to do was be Annie. <laughs> in the musical. Hey, God. Wait, me too. That oh, really <laughs> it was all about Annie, Annie, Annie and uh, and then it just kind of continued through high school and then college and then even after college. That's what that was the music I was performing. I was doing musicals, touring around and doing off-Broadway shows in New York and oh, I loved that, it. Yeah, that that's uh that's a far
1: cry from Persian folk songs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the and the singer-songwriter rock music you were doing is uh, really doesn't have a whole lot in common with the kind of repertoire you sing these days. Well, we'll get on to that soon. (laughs) So now we all know that vocal artists regularly perform songs from cultures different from their own. For example, if you want to make it as an opera singer, you have to have the ability to articulate yourself perfectly in a variety of different, mostly European languages, especially Italian, French, English, German and Russian. Even singers in the pop music world sometimes take on the task of singing in a foreign tongue. Let's listen to a couple of examples now. First up, we'll hear the great German counter-tenor Andreas Scholl essaying English folk music in a song entitled The Raggle Taggle Gypsies Oh. And then Josh Groban, an American singer-songwriter, takes on a dramatic Italian love song, Perte.
2: There were three gypsies come to my door And this ran this lady oh. One sang high and the other sang low, oh, and the other sang "bunny, bunny, Biscay, oh. Then she pulled off her silk finished comb and put on holes
1: of leather, oh. The ragged ragged wrecks about her door, door, door.
2: She's gone with the raggle taggle gypsies, oh. It was late, late night when my lord came home inquiring for his lady. Oh, the servants said, "On every house." Sento nell'aria il profumo di te. Piccoli sogni vissuti
0: con me, ora lo so,
2: non voglio perdere.
1: On tonight's Box with me, Chloe Veltman, I'm chatting about singers who immerse themselves in the musical traditions of a culture very different from their own. My guests in the studio are Monica Jalili, an American of Dutch and German extraction who specialises in Iranian repertoire, and Bridget Boyle, who performs Balkan vocal music with Kitka and Brass Menagerie, but identifies as Irish-American. Monica and Bridget, the songs we just heard both demonstrate the common practice of singers performing in languages different from their own mother tongue and both guys that we heard had pretty perfect diction I think you'll both agree uh, Andreas Scholl whom we heard sing the raggle-taggle gypsy Zoe, is German and Josh Groben, who gave us his rendition of the Italian song Perte is American so what's the difference between what you're doing as artists working in traditions different from the ones you grew up in and, and the likes of Scholl and Groben and countless other vocalists
2: from first listening most people would say there's, there's no difference you know um, they're singing a song in another language, which is what I do. Um, is what Bridget does. But it's, for me, it's something that I've completely fallen in love with. It is the only music that I sing now. It's the only music I want to sing now. And it's it's become my life. It's, it's almost, it could be in any language at this point. It's what speaks to me. It's, it's as if it's just a part of me at this point. Um, it's just completely natural for me to sing in Persian. Um, and I've been doing it for so long now. It's almost as if it's become my mother tongue, you know, but it's not. I mean, I can speak and have a conversation, but it's just, it's the natural thing for me to do at this point rather than just one, you know, one time thing I'm going to to dabble. Exactly, yeah. What do you reckon, Bridget? Well, it's interesting. I'm thinking about Kitka and how um,
0: Kitka sings in up to 21 different languages in one concert and so um, in some ways we're similar to the people that we just heard um, because none of us are really diving in deeply to one language in the context of Kitka and so it, it, it actually creates a lot of interesting questions for us and challenges and in a way it becomes more of a craft than an immersion in one thing. Um, but what we've started to do, which is actually deepening our relationship to different styles of music, is to put together programs of one from one country. We're really taking time to dive deep more deeply into the languages and into the cultures so that we have more context for what we're doing. Um, and we've, you know, traveled and visited those places and, you know, associated ourselves mm-hmm. with the people who are there you know, on the land.
1: (laughs) Well, I would argue that that's really what sets you and your colleagues in Kitka apart from the dabblers, you know, the Josh Grobans of the world who just, you know, fancy doing a whole album in in Italian and and do it quite well. I mean, of course, we're talking about many different languages and many different cultures within the whole Central Eastern European region. But at the same time, there's an immersion in that part of the world that that is 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 you know quite unique in a way there aren't too many american groups that are, are doing that well let's hear more about your individual stories and paths now monica your first steps as an interpreter of iranian song didn't go very smoothly did they can
2: you tell us what happened um, i was at a friend's house for dinner in new york and she's iranian and I was coming in and she was just finishing up her lesson. She was studying the santur, which is this Iranian um, dulcimer instrument, and he was her teacher. As he was leaving, my friend said, oh, you know, Monica's a singer. He said, oh, yeah, what do you sing? I said, well, I do theater and stuff. He says, oh, I'd love to hear something. Could you sing for me? And I just sang some musical theater piece, something. I don't remember what it Wasn't was. from Annie? No. <laughs> i grown out of the Annie phase. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then, about I think it was about a month later, he called me up. He said, "Do you remember me? Um, I met you at so and so's house." And he said, "You know, I'm putting a, together a concert for the Persian New Year." We got together and and we taught maybe about five or six different songs, and it was extremely difficult um, for many reasons. One, because we didn't rehearse enough, and B, I you know I could never really. I mean, I was sitting there literally reading it, even in the performance, mm-hmm. um, and also reading the translation which I'd put for myself under each word um, because. I couldn't get what it felt because I just didn't know these words. And here I am trying to practice at home. My husband, who speaks Farsi, was like, oh, God, you're making mistakes. And then he realized he was wrong because these were all different dialects that he didn't know. And it sounded Uh, like badly uh pronounced Persian or Farsi (laughs) because he just didn't know. The concert was, um, no, not, not very good, unfortunately. And it was to an audience of about 250 Iranians older who all knew all these songs you know Mm. they grew up with them and i felt like i destroyed them and i was really i felt i just wanted to run away it was uh and um well
1: how did you go about picking yourself up again and dusting yourself off and then immersing yourself finally in the iranian repertoire that's
2: where i really credit my husband who who stepped up unfortunately he wasn't even at the concert which Uh was probably a good thing that he (laughs) wasn't there but anyway um i put those songs on a shelf and. And I initially said, I'm never going to touch this again. This was really embarrassing, and I felt really defeated after that. And, yeah, a few months later, I was kind of hitting a kind of a crossroads. I was getting a bit burnt out from the musical theater scene. I mean, it's grueling. It's the same scene as the acting scene in New York. Continual auditioning, lots of rejections. You get stuff every so often, but I had to work other jobs to pay the rent because I wasn't in one show after the other kind of thing. And... I just wanted to sing, you know, and um, my husband said, why don't you pick up some of those songs again and take a look at them, and I was like, all right, you know, so I kind of picked them up and they were about two or three, which I realized once I started working on my own with nobody working with me, no pressure, no deadline, mm-hmm. that started to speak to me and I started to just kind of get into it. and. I could have been doing them completely wrong, and I didn't know, and I had no one to tell me, and I didn't care. Mm -hmm. At that point, I was just, I finally was getting the meaning, what the songs were, and I just, they just, I just started to sing. I didn't have to look at it anymore, and it just started to become a part of me. And then, because I was trying to figure out where I was going musically, um, uh, my husband said, why don't you go into a studio put them on and then listen and see what it is you need to work on. Because I was thinking, oh, I need to go back and work with a teacher again. I need to work on technique. I didn't know where I was going. And I just put them down, just a cappella. There was nobody playing with me. And then I decided to send them to my husband's parents, and particularly his dad. And he was really impressed. And so when I arrived in Brussels, he picked me up from the airport. And he said, I'm going to play this song for you. And I think it's a song that you're really going to like. And I think that's pretty much all he said. And it was a cassette, and he had a cassette player in the car. And that was the song that really did it. I sat there and I was just, I think I was speechless. I i didn't know what to say. I didn't even know what the song meant. I was first touched most of all by the man's voice who sang the song. And the man's name was Mohammed Nouri, and the song was from like 1950s. So the song was called Johnny Mariam," which means my sweet Mariam," And it was this love song. And my father-in-law began to tell me what the song was about. and. I said, I've got to sing that song. He says, he says, I know you're going to sing that song. So I went back to New York and um, hooked up with a friend of my husband, whose name was Homayoun. And he just had a real passion for Iranian music. He was an engineer by day, but had self-taught himself all these various instruments. And I said, do you know the song Johnny Mariam? He's like, well, of course I know that song. And I was like, well, could we get together and work on it? And he said, sure. So we got together and he played this traditional instrument called the tar which is where the guitar comes from. It's this traditional Iranian string instrument. And we worked on that song together. And then he taught me more songs from that generation from, I want to say, from the 1940s to the 1970s, all those years prior to the Iranian revolution, which was in 1979. And which each song, I was falling more and more in love with this music and then we had slowly I had a little repertoire and we started to perform together he and I informally at um, some Persian New Year celebrations in New York and some private parties and it was becoming clear to me that this is where I wanted to go with music. Unfortunately you know he had to continue with his work as an engineer he didn't have time to do this with me full time so I realized I've got to go get a band put together and I've got to study Persian. So I went out to LA for a month, lived with an Iranian family, took private lessons, started my Persian language study and then continued on my own at home with books, tapes, CDs and a bit of help from my husband and his parents. And um, I came back to New York and I I put an ad on Craigslist that I'm looking for musicians to play Persian music. And that's kind of how it started. My violinist, who's still with me today, and who's also my ensemble director, was one of the first people to respond, came to me, who, who by the way, is also American. And that was the end of 2004. And um, 2005, we had our first concert, made our first CD. And, um, and I've been doing it ever since. And it's just been the greatest journey, it really has.
1: Thanks for that lovely story, Monica. I'd love to play now that track that you heard in your father-in-law's Car which inspired you. Here's Jana Mariam as as performed by Mohammed Nouri. انا خي بارك بدون هي You're tuned into Voicebox with me, your host, Chloe Veltman. Don't forget that you can download Voicebox as a free weekly podcast on iTunes. Just search for KALW Voicebox. We just heard Jana Mariam, Dearest Mariam, a song performed by Mohamed Nouri. It was the track that turned Monica on to Persian music in a big way. Let's hear from Bridget now. Bridget, how does an Irish-American girl become steeped in the world of Balkan vocal music? Good question. <laughs> um,
0: well, I, like I said, I, I grew up um, as a singer-songwriter and I was working with my mom on that stuff. I also did some musical theatre in high school and when I was looking at colleges, um, I was looking for a theatre school because I thought that's what I should do and that's what I want to do. But then um, I realized as I was looking at the colleges that what I really wanted to do was music. And I found the College of Santa Fe at a college fair and I was completely drawn to it for who knows what reason. Applied, got in and um, went there. And the first time I'd ever been to Santa Fe was when I moved there. And um, in the first week we had... Uh, a, a meeting with all the teachers presenting their different ensembles that you could be a part of, and Polly Tapia Ferber, uh, who was my my mentor, um, s- presented the Middle Eastern and Balkan music ensemble as an option, and I was like, "What the heck is this?" <laughs> and I just I, I joined the class and instantly was immersed in wanting to do this music. It's hard to describe why I'm so connected to this music, but its um, I can't stop doing it. I, can, I just love it. And um, I, I'm really interested in getting deeper into some of the traditions, especially like the Serbian music. I'm, I'm also in a Balkan brass band, and we do a lot of music from Serbia. And um, I'm really drawn to that re- that particular region, Serbia, Bosnia, Croatia. Like, I'm just, I'm so, it's, there's something there that's so... Um, rich and and sort of wrought with strife, <laughs> and I think that's what makes this music so beautiful and so interesting. It's like this. It's the deepest expression of humanity. You know. It's uh, you know. I especially think about the Roma Ro- Romanes or Romani music. Um, the Gypsies. It's uh, it's <laughs> their music is so powerful and so um, expressive, and I think a lot of it just has to do with um, where they are in the world and and how that it's like they're it's their light <laughs> in in the you know in a world
1: of darkness. What is it you about know? your you and your life that makes you connect with this this music of strife? Is there is it is it are you tapping into something from your own past, your own culture, or what is it that you're seeing in in that? I'm not sure. I think that's part of the mystery of it.
0: Um, I'm so connected. When I heard Bulgarian music for the first time, it was like. I must be Bulgarian because I felt like my bones were vibrating, and I understood it even though I didn't understand the language, you know. And when I was in Bulgaria last summer, um, I, you know, it turns out that the the Celts were in Bulgaria, and I was sort of like, hmm, I wonder if there's some connection between Ir- Ireland and Bulgaria, and maybe there's some <laughs> weird genetic thing, I don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to play a track now from uh, a group that has been a big influence on you, the Eva Quartet. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the song we're about to hear? Sure. Well, the Eva Quartet is um, a group of, it's
0: four younger women who are in Le Mystère de Voix Bulgar and they're, they're a subset of that, and they tour around, and um this particular song is is a classic example of what happens where a folk song is taken and arranged into um, a more contemporary sounding, you know, contemporary harmonies. A, a Western style composer will take a folk song and turn it into um, this kind of a
1: piece. So. Why do you why do you find this particular song or this group so influential? Their quality of sound is. Uh, their sound is
0: my favorite of all the, the groups that I've heard especially in m- the more contemporary groups um, there's another couple of trios the trio Bol- Bolgorka and a couple other ones from Bulgaria that are older that I really love but um, Eva Quartet is really inspiring because they're doing it now you know mm. they're they're really um, they're singing the traditional music and and also with a contemporary spin and I, I like that I, okay well let's
1: listen now to Zora se is Azorila. I'm Chloe Veltman and this is Voicebox. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and please download our free weekly podcasts by visiting voicebox-media.org or iTunes. Tonight's edition is devoted to looking at what it's like for a singer to embrace a musical culture that's very different from the one they grew up in. We just heard a track from the Ever Quartet entitled Zora Se Eza which greatly influenced Bridget Boyle, one of my guests on tonight's show. Our other guest is Monica Jalili, a singer of Iranian folk songs. Balkan vocal ensembles often require a completely different technical approach to singing compared to the way most people sing in choral groups in the West. The same can be said of Iranian vocal stylings. How easy has it been for both of you to adopt the necessary vocal approach to sing your music well?
2: Well, actually, um, I did not really take on a different technique vocally. I kind of just put myself into the music singing the way I would do it which is very different from the original singers um, and how it felt to me to be done. So I sing it the way um, I feel it, which is just the way my my voice just, just crossed over to it. I didn't do anything different technically to do it. I simply adapted the language and made the song a part of me. What about you, Bridget? It's a similar, actually.
0: I find that folk music um, of most cultures is is really just an ex- extension of your talking voice. It's it's something that everybody can do, and um, that was a really interesting thing to realize in the context of Balkan music, because you know everybody. It's like, what is that placement? What is that nasally thing? And and what mm-hmm. you know, when he, when it really comes down to it, it's just like you're talking, you're talking, and then you're singing, and that's folk music, you know, mm-hmm. and. Um, and so there wasn't much real, like, I mean, there was a moment at which I realized that, and it was like, oh, okay, I can just sing. Mm-hmm. And the language actually informs the technique the most, I find, um, you know, the the way the vowels are placed. And, um, you know, and then doing different music from different cultures and different places, there is different placement but so much of it is based on the language it's it's um it's it's a vehicle for the language you know and,
1: mm-hmm. and yeah if i were to attempt to sing one of the songs that that you perform i wouldn't sound anything like you i mean you know i'm i come from a the british choral tradition mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. so i could sing those words to one of those beautiful bulgarian or serbian songs and you would never give me an audition, <laughs> much less admit me to your group. So,
0: well, I, it's interesting because I find that people who have been trained classically have a really hard time um, get getting into the Balkan t- vocal placement, um, mainly because the voice has been trained to be placed in a very back kind of like open uh, way, and and um, the Balkan technique is more forward and focused, and and um, and it's, I think it's just a when your voice and your muscles are trained a certain way, it's like asking an ice skater to run a marathon, you know, or,
1: you know,
0: a football player to ice
1: skate. <laughs> it mm-hmm. just doesn't work so well. So, okay. Well, it's see, so what was natural to you may not be so natural to some other people, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, that's true. Definitely. You were born to sing this repertoire. I <laughs> yeah, I guess so. to voice box i'm chloe veltman voice box is available as a free weekly podcast via the voice box website at voicebox-media.org and also on itunes don't forget you can also follow us on twitter and friend us on facebook i'm in the studio with bridget boyle an irish american vocalist who has immersed herself in balkan music and monica Jalili, a singer of dutch and german parentage who specializes in iranian folk music the track we just heard was a Turkish song entitled Evlerina Varagele Usantum. The vocalist who performed the track, Brenna McCrimmon, described herself in an email to me as a very typical Canadian mongrel of Scottish-English heritage. Her description made me laugh. Brenna came across some recordings of Turkish music in her local public library in Toronto one day and became intrigued by the music, which she found very expressive. So she sought out people in Toronto who played this music. She worked with Turks and Macedonians and ended up going to Turkey to immerse herself in the art form. The first trip lasted for a year, and then she went back again and stayed for five years. Brenner says that she is generally well accepted by Turks and gets a lot of messages via Facebook from Turks who really dig her stuff. She says that her recordings have sold into the tens of thousands in Turkey. Interestingly though, Brenner says that she is virtually overlooked in North America. There is still a belief, she writes, particularly in North America, that if you are not from a culture, you can't sing it. Monica and Bridget, what are your thoughts about this? To what extent have you found acceptance as singers of cultures that are not your own by birth or background? And how much pushback have you received?
2: Wow, well, it's, it's an interesting topic and yet a hard question at the same time. Um for some, it is wow! This is amazing. You're doing this, and in you you speak it so well. You sing it. Many people say you sing it better than the original, you know. But then you get the other extreme of why are you doing this? Um, don't do this. Stick to show tunes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And they'll already have a judgment before I start singing, and already will it will diminish the performance in their eyes because they already have some kind of but then why would a,
1: why would someone like that buy a ticket if they know that you're not Iranian and they want to someone said it's she's great, you've got to hear her you've got to come you know mm-hmm. Bridget, I gather that authenticity is a massive issue in the world of Kitka, and you guys will sit around and debate <laughs> for hours and hours on end oh, yes. uh, what it means to produce an authentic. Balkan vocal performance. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about those discussions and what this whole term authenticity means for you as a singer. It's a it's a big topic um, and an ongoing.
0: And every day it becomes we have a deeper understanding of what authenticity is. And it's actually interesting because this woman that we just worked with, Svetlana Spych, um, she thinks a lot about the oral tradition and how how um, how to create an authentic experience. Um, and and for her, so much of it is based on language and um, understanding what you're saying when you're saying it in a song. And um, that's um, part of what happened at the concert when we ended up singing in English. She wanted us to create um, something that we could really understand. But what she found through working with us is that um, regardless of our ability to speak the language, that we can reach an authentic place of singing a song without without that
1: knowledge. What does that mean, though?
0: Um, what it means is accessing the intimacy of singing with somebody, singing next to your the person that you're with and getting really close in with them and, and f- taking their voice and they're taking your voice. And it's this... Um, <sighs> It's hard to it's hard to exa- say exactly what it is, but it's this very alive, very present feeling um when you're singing with you know in within a group. And then also, um, for soloists, um it's it's a matter of gosh opening up into the song. It's like it's it's not only understanding what the words are, but singing beyond the words and singing. You know, really, um, she had this concept of the the universe and the air being full of possibility of sound, and all you're doing is as as you're a vehicle to accessing that sound that exists everywhere. And you know, her whole thing was, you know, just it's not about your you, it's not about your body, it's about you know giving voice to the universe basically and that was such a powerful concept for me because I I struggle with the the question of authenticity a lot you know I sing especially in Brass Menagerie there's um, we have at our shows we often have a lot of Serbs and Bosnians and they all think that I'm from from over there you know they kinda wonder if I'm Bulgarian singing you know Serbian music because I do have a little bit of a Bulgarian accent which is really bizarre Given that I don't speak Bulgarian. <laughs> but, um, but it's, they, you know, they are always coming up to me right after the show and speaking to me in Serbian. And I just, I, I don't speak Serbian. And so it's, it feels really, it's, it's hard for me because I don't want to, you know, take that lightly. I don't, I don't. You know, it's it's hard to, um, I want to be more immersed in it. I want to have time to really dig into the languages and, you know, be able to communicate with the people who whose music, who
1: the music is touching so deeply. Well, so let's get deep more deeply into this question of language. Um, I put forward the notion at the top of the show that music is a great destroyer of cultural barriers. It has amazing powers to bring people together. But to what extent is this true of vocal music, which one can argue is more culturally specific than pure instrumental music because of its use of words? Does the fact that a lot of vocal music have words tied to a specific country or ethnicity help or hinder it as a vehicle for uniting disparate cultures and helping that immersion?
2: The words do impact, but, you know, for the ear that doesn't understand the language that they're hearing, it's still the first thing they're listening for is the sound. And voice is just another instrument at that point as to whatever other instruments are, are performing. And if there's a beauty in there, if it's soul stirring, if it takes them on the journey, whether it's vocal or instrumental, um, it almost... It, it doesn't matter at that point because it's it's universal yeah uh, you know I agree
1: there's an interesting thing I was at this concert that Kika did the other day and halfway through out of nowhere you guys started singing in English I mean you know I was there listening to all this beautiful Serbian music you know with its intense harmonies and the mysterious words and suddenly I'm hearing Bay Bridge or Golden Gate (laughs) Bridge and, and various other English terms and you know, what I found was at one level it brought me closer to the music because I understood some of the language, but in another it sounded profoundly strange and weird and jarring <laughs> and even more foreign than it did before. I mean, is this the reaction you were going for, Bridget? What were your intentions behind using English lyrics? What was the desired effect
0: well um, this the style uh, the song form that we were doing is called Ganga and um the the intention of that form of singing is to uh, for the singers to praise their homeland and you know when you hear these songs in other languages they're basically saying the same thing they're talking about the mountain that's over there or the river or the you know the things that draw them close to their land and Svetlana uh, really wanted us to do that she wanted us to, to create our own Ganga that was you know about being here about where we are and and appreciating the things that are around us and it's interesting because I had a hard time with it when she brought it up initially I was like I'd so much rather sing in Serbian but and I kind of like what is that about I don't understand like why do I want to sing why is my first instinct to sing something that I don't that I don't, and maybe the audience doesn't necessarily understand. And then, you know, after thinking about it for a while, I realized, you know, I'm going to give this English thing a try, and it actually it brought Kitka together in this whole other way because we were singing to each other. Kitka women are my dear sisters. Let's sing Ganga, our Ganga, you know, and and it was like it brought us together and I don't think that there was any necessarily there was my I don't think that there was any intention for the audience necessarily I think it, the intention was more about us singing something that really you know that we could all connect to um, linguistically speaking I know and it was you know it was like I knew that it was gonna have that sort of impact on the audience because they're not used to hearing Kitka sing in English I mean in fact I did the show a couple weeks ago this um, Nick Drake cover show with this other band with Brass Menagerie and um, I had to sing in English and the only thing that people said to me that night afterwards was like Wow, I've never heard you sing in English before. <laughs> and it's so bizarre, you know, cuz uh-huh. that's my first language. That's my only language at this point, you know, and it's um it's just so interesting that that's that English is so shocking, you know, even though it's what we speak person to person it's, it's a very interesting experience
1: <laughs> Well I'd like to share stories of a couple of other brilliant singers who fit into the mould of being artists who have developed reputations for connecting deeply with vocal music traditions that lie far beyond their own native cultures First I'd like to mention Erica Azim Erika's parents were German and Ukrainian Jews and she's been immersed in traditional Shona vocal music from Zimbabwe since 1970. Erika is also a master embira player. My favourite part is the improvisational yodelling, called chigori in Shona, that is often sung together with the embira, Erica told me in an email. Being from a different background than the music one has devoted one's life to is a big disadvantage, she goes on to write. Many universities, for example, want an authentic performer from the country of origin of the music, even if that person would be considered a beginner in their own country. Another artist whom I'm excited to have discovered is Lani Uchiyama, an African-American who has taught and performed Hawaiian and Tahitian music and dance all her adult life. With her band, Mahea has produced a series of CDs of traditional Pacific Island music, including one which won the Hawaii Music Award for Best World Music. And she's performed in Tahiti, New Zealand, throughout Hawaii and in California. Mahé had developed her interest in the dance and music of the Pacific Islands when she went to college in Hawaii, much like you Bridget with your college experience. There were very few African-Americans living in Hawaii during the 1970s, and absolutely none involved in the hula, Mahea confided to me in an email. Quite a few people had a hard time accepting me, and some were openly hostile. I was regularly passed over for opportunities to be presented publicly, because I didn't have the look. I was too tall and too dark. However, there were also many who were welcoming and nurturing, including my hula master, Joseph Kamahai Kalelio. Mahea went to become a kumu hula, which is a teacher of hula and leader of a halau, which is a traditional school of Hawaiian dance and culture. It's probable that she was the first African-American kumu hula. This music speaks to and through my heart, Mahea told me. I feel odd singing in English. Let's hear Erika Azeem and Mahea Uchiyama in action now. (laughs) This is VoiceBox. Check out our free weekly podcasts on iTunes by searching for KALW VoiceBox and please follow us on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Chloe Veltman, and this evening's conversation is about how vocal artists become immersed in singing traditions far removed from their native cultural and ethnic backgrounds. We just heard from a couple of beautiful singers working in this challenging space. First up was Erika Azim, who comes from Eastern European Jewish roots and specialises in singing the Shona songs of Zimbabwe. Her song was entitled Chipindura. And then we heard A Walk by the Sea, a song performed by Mahayalani Uchiyama, an African-American who grew up in Washington, D.C. and has made Hawaiian music her life's work. In the studio, I have with me Bridget Boyle, a singer with Irish-American roots who performs Balkan repertoire and who sings with a kitka, vocal ensemble and brass menagerie. Also, here is Monica Jalili, a singer of Dutch and German parentage who specialises in Persian folk songs of the mid-20th century. So I found this great quote from the cellist Yo-Yo Ma, which resonates with what we've been talking about over the last hour or so. It was part of a speech that he made at the White House for a conference on culture and diplomacy. A Senegalese poet said, In the end, we will conserve only what we love. We love only what we understand, and we will understand only what we are taught. We must learn about other cultures in order to understand, in order to love, and in order to preserve our common world heritage. Monica and Bridget, what can we take away from what Yo-Yo Ma and the Senegalese poet he quoted said in terms of the vocal music landscape?
2: There's, um, yeah, that's a great statement, actually. And it's so true. I agree with it. That's what I would say first. (laughs) Um, You know, because it's, it really opens you up. I mean, it's this it's one world we have here, all these cultures, but really it's just, it's one world. It's, 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 you know, it's mankind is one, the world is one, and these learning about these other cultures brings us all closer and makes the world seem so much smaller, particularly for me. Um, and then doing it through music, which I think is a major unifying force. Just like Bridget said, I really think, I mean, I think it's the answer to the world's problems almost. I mean, if you want to bring about world peace, I mean, there's nothing else that seems to unite as much as music, no matter what country it's from, no matter what language is spoken, because it goes straight to the heart. You know, it has, it's an expression of self and we're all humans. It's like another, it's a language for us. It really, and it's a, it's a universal language, you know, um, and it um yeah it's so true and it means so much to me i mean the, me bringing together iran and the u.s it's becoming one you know um because it's shown that what these songs are about it's it's what humans all over the world feel you know it's uh it just happened to have been developed and started in iran but it could be any part of the world and uh, it could speak to anybody no matter what their language and culture or background are
1: what about you bridget what are your thoughts Vocal music
0: is, to me, uh, part of why I love it and why I continue to do it. Is that it is the deepest expression of being human. Um, it, like I said, it's you know language and talk and talking is sort of the first level, and then it turns into music. And when that happens, it becomes um, completely understandable to anybody who hears it, anybody who comes across it, and um, and I, again, I, I do, I do think that if everybody just stopped for a minute and sang a song together, the whole world did it. I swear, all the world's would, wars would be over. You know, the everybody would be on equal footing. You know, and that's it's. I feel like the the planet has really, the whole human race at this point is so unbalanced, and there's so much aggression and frustration and and. Um, of ignoring of just the basic human experience, and um, I think if if there was some way to spread music <laughs> to everybody, then um, all the problem. I mean, you know, of course, it's kind of silly and idealistic to say that it would all just turn go away. But I actually don't think that's that far from the truth. I mean, personally, when I'm feeling really frustrated or down or angry or whatever, if I sing a song, it it heals me, and I and um and I've also you know in, in Kitchka concerts we've experienced this so many times where we finish and somebody comes up and they're weeping and they're like, "You've just saved my life," or you know, and it's it's so powerful. And I think vocal music, especially, is um, because of the honesty that has to exist within it, and um, you know, it's it's direct from the heart, no matter what you do. So.
1: Well, our time is sadly up for another week. I'd like to thank Monica Jalili and Bridget Boyle for joining me. Bridget and Monica, it's been a great pleasure conversing with you.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
1: To find out more about Monica Jalili, please visit her website at monicajalili.com. That's spelt M-O-N-I-K-A-J-A-L-I-L-I.com. Bridget Boyle's vocal groups Kitka and Brass Menagerie can be found online at kitka.org. That's K-I-T-K-A aorg and brass And that's spelt B-R-A-S-S dot M E N. A-Z-E-R-I dot com. Voicebox is an independently produced non-profit project recorded at the studios of KALW in San Francisco. Our series producer is Seth Samuel and the web editor is Victoria Lim. Voicebox needs your support. To find out how you can make a tax-deductible donation to keep us on the air, please visit our website at voicebox-media.org. Donating is safe, easy and tax-deductible through our online PayPal link. Check out our free weekly podcasts on iTunes and also visit our homepage to mull over and respond to the question of the week and of course we love to know what you think of us please friend us on facebook and follow us on twitter and you can write to us anytime at info at voicebox dot org. remember tyler thompson the young singer i mentioned at the top of the show at the World Children's Festival in Washington, Tyler, dressed in a black robe emblazoned with golden dragons, got a standing evasion when he performed as Justice Bao, a famous Song Dynasty judge who fought government corruption from the Chinese classic Bao King Tian. Here's Tyler now. Have a songful week. <laughs>